0: pastor. Welcome to those of you in the overflow joining us now. Welcome to those of you at the Franklin campus. The funny thing about today is as we're sitting here, it is the Sunday before Christmas, but at the Franklin campus, it is the Sunday after Christmas. So by the time they hear this, Byron Lucas, uh, Sean Burton, uh, Eric Walker will already be in the middle of their New Year's diet perhaps, already slacking off. Uh, We're just now entering into the the week. We're going to eat our way through a whole week. Uh, That's the fun part. Christmas is an odd time of year. I I love Christmas. I love decorations. I love the Christmas tree. I love Christmas cards, but I'm telling you the day after Christmas, I'm done with it. I'm just done with it. I'm one of those guys that just, I want want it all gone. I love it. I love the decorations. I love our tree at home, but as soon as Christmas is over, it just looks different. I I want it gone. I want the tree gone. I want the house back to normal. Anybody else like that? I, I just like to see it gone as much as I enjoy it. So folks at Franklin, it's already the day after Christmas for you. God bless you. It's funny how it just Looks different once Christmas is past. I love Christmas cards. I love every Christmas card that I ever get, and I'm just now learning to throw those away. That's the funny thing. I've never wanted to throw Christmas cards away. In our attic, we have nearly every card I've ever gotten from everybody. And Casey keeps saying, Why are you keeping these? What are we ever going to do with these? Are you ever going to look at these again? And the answer is probably not. But I just hate to throw them away. There's just something about the Christmas cards. They're just pretty. They're very, very pretty. Every Christmas card you ever see is just beautiful. And honestly, that's in some ways a very good thing because most people really learn the message of Christmas from the cards. You understand, most people don't go to church. Most people don't really know what Christmas is about at all. But often it's the Christmas cards that they receive in the mail that will remind them that the holiday of Christmas has something to do with a baby in a manger in a stable with Mary and Joseph and shepherds and and as the story goes. It's good that the cards are so pretty to tell the story so well, but I just want to remind you that if you're thinking that Jesus came into a pretty world with with halos glowing and shepherds kneeling and, and all of that, You're probably not getting the story exactly right, and maybe that's part of our fault. Maybe it's part of why people, as soon as Christmas is over, they go right on, and the story doesn't seem to impact their lives, because honestly, that pretty Christmas card world with halos glowing and and, and everything beautiful and bright, don't you understand, that's not the world we live in. That's not the world we live in. And if we're telling people that Jesus came to be with us, that Jesus came to stay with us, then we've got to communicate that that the world he came to was the real world, the everyday, messed up world that you and I live in. Not the Christmas card world, but the everyday world. Honestly, when you look at the story in Scripture, the Christmas stories, you find it in just a few places you got to understand that the scripture gets it right. There is nothing rosy, there's nothing in any way that makes the Christmas story look as pretty as the Christmas cards make it look. The world that Jesus came to was as real as it gets, God knows. And you find that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, our scripture today. This is honestly my favorite uh, telling of the Christmas story. It's told from Joseph's perspective in the Christmas play at church, I guess the part that everybody wants or all the girls want is Mary. Mary always has the best part. She gets to be beautiful. She gets to sit there and kneel and hold the baby. Mary's got the juicy part. Poor Joseph always just stands back there in the back and does nothing. He just stands there and does nothing. The guy playing Joseph, of course, has an honor as well. But I'm telling you, it's just not the juiciest role. That's why I love Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is Joseph's story. Listen to how the word of God tells the story of Jesus and the story of Joseph. It's uh, it's the real world. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to divorce her to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. Verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. A man named Peter Lovenheim lived in a particular neighborhood in Rochester, New York. It was actually the neighborhood he was born in and raised in. He knew this neighborhood. He'd spent most of his life there, and he was living there as an adult. This was the neighborhood he knew, and, and he knew well which was why it was particularly shocking one particular morning when he was out walking his dog and saw a a, a news van and police cars and a crime scene out at one of his neighbor's houses. You never want to see that. As he got closer, he started hearing what the story was about. Apparently, his, his neighbor, a man who lived just two doors down, had in the night killed his wife and then killed himself. And the children discovered the bloody scene, and they went running out into the streets screaming. And now the news reporters, the police officers, everyone was there. It was horrible to think about that happening in your own neighborhood. But what was worse, Peter said, was a few days later everything got cleaned up. And then a for sale sign went out in front of the house and in just a few months, actually, another family moved into that house, and everything went on like nothing happened. And that's the part that bothered him. Everything went on like nothing happened. Because it started dawning on Peter that although these people were his neighbors, he did not know them. The man who killed his wife and killed himself, Peter did not know that man, not really. He would seen him, but he didn't know him. And those poor children who found their parents dead and then ran out into the neighborhood, into the streets, he really didn't know those kids at all. And the fact that the neighborhood went on just as if nothing happened, it really began to bother Peter because he realized, well, what do we have here? Is this any kind of neighborhood? Is there a community here? Or are we just living in a bunch of houses that happen to be close to one another? And that's what he realized. There was no community, no love in the neighborhood he'd known his whole life. It was just a bunch of houses, a bunch of people living in proximity, but not knowing each other. There was no love there. So Peter was bothered enough to start doing something differently. He started talking to his neighbors. A couple of houses up, he found another neighbor, a a young single mother who was dying of breast cancer. She had nobody to help her. He realized that she needed somebody to meet her daughter at the bus stop. She needed somebody to help her get to doctor's appointments and to the grocery store. She had nobody, and yet she lived in his neighborhood. I said Peter had lived in this neighborhood his whole life. And his whole life he had seen this lady whose name turned out to be Grace. Nobody knew her name. Everybody just called her the walker. Like she was crazy, like she was some sort of freak. Nobody ever learned her name. She was just the walker because she walked every day. Peter went out and talked to the lady who walked. Her name was Grace. She was the oldest lady in the neighborhood. And she had walked for decades. And she told Peter that in all of those years of walking... Nobody ever talked to her. As a matter of fact, one day Grace had fallen in the street and nobody helped her. She had to crawl to the curb. That's what pushed Peter over the edge. He realized something had to change, he realized that he had to change. And so he came up with an idea, an idea of how to get to know people and how to learn to love each other. He came up with a crazy idea. Even his own daughter said, Dad, you're nuts, you're crazy. But this is what Peter decided to do. He decided to go to his neighbor's houses one at a time, knock on the door, and ask if he could spend the night. Sleepover. Do y'all remember Sleepovers. Anybody ever slept over to friend's house? Let me see your hands. Have you ever slept over? Yeah, isn't that awesome? Pastor Eric, have you ever slept over? Man, I would love to sleep at your house. I would love to see you in your MC Hammer pajamas, man. I would love to stay at your house. Have you ever done a sleepover? Man, it was the best part of growing up. I was a kid, my best friend was David Alexander, he still lives in Woodburn. David was awesome. Our fathers were friends, and I didn't realize how much our fathers had in common until one night I spent the night at David Alexander's house, and... To get to the bathroom in the Alexander house, you had to walk through David's bedroom. And so David and I were sleeping. We've been up. We've been talking. Sleepovers are awesome. We were talking through the night. And all of a sudden, y'all know Henry Alexander? Henry Alexander had to go to the bathroom. And he had to walk through David's room. So he came walking through David's room in his underwear. Now, remember, I'm just sleeping over. I'm a stranger. But Henry just comes walking through. But if you know Henry, he didn't just walk through. He made it a show. So Henry comes bopping through the room in his underwear like this. And that's the moment when I thought, man, I love this family. I love this guy. You see, Henry Alexander is just like my dad. My dad would do that. If I mean, if you're going to walk through in your whitey tighties, make it good, baby. Make it a show. Do you remember sleeping over Sitting up and talking through the night and getting sleepy and going to bed, waking up the next morning, eating breakfast, hanging out around the breakfast table, Peter Lovenheim decided that his neighborhood could be changed one sleepover at a time. His family said, you're crazy. But his neighbors didn't say he was crazy. The amazing thing is Peter Lovenheim knocked on those doors, introduced himself, invited himself to come and stay over. And most everybody invited him in to stay. Would you do that? Would you let your neighbor just come? Somebody that you barely knew, if they came and knocked on the door and said, I want to come in, I want to know you, I want to get to know you, I want to come, I want to stay with you, would you let them even come into the door of your house? It, it's interesting to think about because honestly, when you really begin, really begin to think, That's what happened at Christmas. That's sort of what God has done. Because it was God who looked down at the world, who looked down at all the nations of the world, every nation, every state, every city, every neighborhood, every family, every heart. God looked down at the world and he saw a broken place. He saw a place where there was very little love. He saw a place where people were lost and dying in their sins. He saw people who he created to love, but who did not know him and who did not love him. And God himself came up with a remarkable plan from all eternity. God's plan never changed. And that plan was to come down, to come near to us, to knock at the door of every heart and ask if you might allow him to come in and know you and love you. This is what God has done. You understand that? This is what Christmas is about. And this is what's happening right now in this house and in every place all over the world, God himself is knocking on the doors of hearts. He wants to know you. He longs to love you. And the only way, the only way it can ever happen is if you will let him come in. You have to let him come in. As the story goes, one of the first people that he came to was a sleeping man named Joseph. It's interesting. Whenever you run across Joseph in Scripture, he's usually sleeping and in the middle of a bad dream. I don't know if it's Mexican food or what it is, but Joseph is a man who who's always seems to be in the middle of a bad dream or, or maybe it's a wonderful dream. I don't know, but he never really ever gets a good night's sleep. In Matthew chapter 1, the scripture we've just read, Joseph is in the middle of the worst night of his life. Do you understand that? It's the worst night of his life. The scripture tells us the whole truth. Before the marriage took place, while Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that, but Joseph doesn't know that. We know what God is doing. Joseph doesn't know what God is doing. All that Joseph knows is that he loves this girl. Her her name is Mary. He loves her. She's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful girl. And Joseph has always known her to be a woman of purity and grace and beauty. Mary is a beautiful girl and Joseph loved her. They were betrothed, as as the story goes. Understand, in the ancient world, betrothal is is different from just being engaged. Once you're betrothed, to be honest, you really are legally married. You haven't taken one another yet. It's not a consummated marriage. But for all practical purposes, Mary and Joseph are married. The only way to sever the relationship that they have is with a legal divorce. We say that they're betrothed. But I'm telling you, this is not just being engaged. This is as close to being married as you could possibly be. He he loved her. The only thing keeping them apart was making the plans for the wedding, and that's what they were doing. Joseph gathering up everything he needed to go and take Mary and, and bring her home to be his wife. He loves her. And understand, in the middle of all of this dream of his life, and the dream of getting married, and the dream of having the girl of your dreams, in the middle of all of that, a horrible thing happens from Joseph's perspective. This girl turns up pregnant. Now, I don't have to fill in all the blanks for you, surely. Don't you understand? She just shows up pregnant. No, we know that she was a virgin. We know that Mary and Joseph had never been together. Joseph knows that too. That's why when she shows up pregnant, he knows this baby's not his. He knows the baby's not his, and it's devastating to him. Are you reading this story? It's devastating to him. We know that the baby's of the Holy Spirit. We know that the baby's going to be baby Jesus. We know that God is going to use this baby to save the whole world. We know that God is doing wonderful, something wonderful, but Joseph doesn't know that. He can't really know that yet. He can wonder if maybe Mary had told him about the angel visiting her, if maybe Mary had told him about what happened to her, but we really don't get the indication in Scripture that she did. According to the Gospel of Luke, once the angel visited Mary, Mary went off and she went to out-of-town relatives. And she seems to have stayed there for her first trimester. Do you understand? It seems like she was gone for three months so that when Mary comes back from being out of town, she's put on a little weight. She's wearing stretchy pants now. Do you understand? She's starting to show. We know what God is doing. Joseph doesn't know what God is doing. He's trying to decide what he's going to do. That's where the story picks up. Probably the worst night of his life. He's trying to decide what to do. He's a good man, the scripture says, a really, really good man. And even though he assumes that Mary's been unfaithful to him, and and he assumes that she's been with somebody else, and, and honestly, he could take her to court. Honestly, he could have her stoned. He's not going to do any of that. I guess he figures she's already embarrassed herself. I guess he assumes that she's disgraced herself. He's not going to add to her disgrace. He's just going to divorce her quietly, the scripture says. He's just going to put her away quietly and get on with his life. It's, It's devastating for him. But that's when the angel of the Lord shows up. In the middle of that night, the worst night of his life, that's when the messenger of God comes and says, Joseph, I've got to tell you some things. I've got to tell you. And notice what he says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now he knows. Now he knows. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This child is going to be great. He's going to be used. He's going to save the world. All of this occurring to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. The virgin will conceive a child, and his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. Joseph, do you understand? Could he understand? Can you put yourself in his pajamas? Can you possibly imagine what it would be like to be Joseph? Can you imagine what it would be like to hear this and understand that God is somehow bringing you into his enormous plan to save the whole world? Can you imagine being brought into something like that? But do you understand what it means for him? It means that the little dream of his life is sort of over. It's been changed. There's a new plan now and it's God's plan. In other words, it's not going to be the little life that Joseph and Mary had planned. Their life's been taken over. It's not going to go like Joseph always imagined. He's going to have to take her home to be his wife, and they're going to love each other. She's still the woman that he always dreamed that she would be. Joseph is still a good man, but people are going to talk. This is not going to look good to the community. Do you understand that? People are going to talk. They're always going to talk. They're always going to raise questions about Mary and Joseph and their baby. People will talk. It's interesting, and it's the part we don't really pay attention to in this story, but, but in the case of Mary, when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, and in the case of Joseph, when the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, there's always this moment, and, and we rush right through the moment because we don't think about it, but there's this moment when they have to say yes. Do you understand that? Mary had a choice and Joseph has a choice just like every single one of us we always have a choice when Jesus comes and knocks on the door of your heart don't you understand he just stands there and knocks and he waits for you he waits for you to say yes he waits for you to open the door he waits for you to let him come in you must let him come in this is not an invasion Jesus does not come to kick down the door of your life and come in and take over. It never works that way. God is a very, very smooth gentleman. He is polite. He always respects your right to choose. And Joseph has a choice to make. Do you see that? He has a choice. The angel says, Joseph, take Mary home and and let her be your wife. People will talk. Just let them talk. Raise this boy. Name him Jesus. Name him Yeshua, which means God saves. Name him God saves. Raise him. Be his daddy. He's going to be a difficult child to raise. There will be more bad dreams for you in the future, and there are. And there will be a lot of bad diapers for you in the future, and there are. But take Mary home with you. Marry her. Raise this child. Joseph, what do you say? He says yes. He says yes. It's what the scripture says. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. That's the Christmas story, brothers and sisters, and if you're going to understand and live the Christmas story, the same sort of thing's got to happen to you. In other words, God will come to you. He's going to come near to you. Jesus will come to you, and he's going to knock on the door of your heart, and then everything depends upon what you say. Everything depends upon what you say. you probably never heard of a man named Wallace Perling, but in the little town where he lives, he's pretty famous. He's lived there forever. Everybody knows him. He's an enormous man. The funny thing is he was also an enormous kid. Everybody who knew him watched him grow up, and and he was one of those kids who was like the size of a grown man the minute he stepped into elementary school. He was a giant. What added to his awkwardness, of course, was that Wallace was always a little slow. I guess you'd say mentally challenged, whatever they call it these days. Wallace was that. So when Wallace was in second grade, he probably should have been in sixth grade, I think they say, like sixth grade. And so here's this kid who is just a giant. He's as big as the teachers. He towers over the other kids, but he's way behind them in every other way. But but understand, everybody loved Wally. He was a great kid, a, a gigantic heart, a gentle kind of giant, and everybody loved Wally. I said he was famous in the town. He's most famous for what they say about the year when they say that Wallace Perling, Wally Perling, ruined the whole Christmas show, ruined the Christmas pageant at school. And he nearly did. It went like this. Wally really, really, really wanted to be in the Christmas pageant. And so he told Miss Lombard, the teacher, he told her that he really wanted to be in the Christmas pageant this year. And he really wanted to be a shepherd now, again, remember, Wally is a really gigantic kid. And Ms. Lombard was thinking about what it would look like if Wally's standing up there with his flip-flops and his bathroom with all these other little kids. It would just look so strange for Wally to be there with the shepherds because the other kids are so small and he's so big. And also the shepherds had a pretty big part in the program. And Miss Lombard knew that Wally was most likely to mess it up. Wally was slow. I remind you, he couldn't learn lines very well. And so she looked for a part that Wally just probably couldn't mess up, and she decided that that would be the innkeeper, the innkeeper part. You know, the innkeeper has very, very few lines. He really doesn't say much, and Miss Lombard was thinking that when Wally, this gigantic kid, opens the door and says, go away, that that would be pretty awesome, that Mary and Joseph, it would just really build up that dramatic moment for this big old innkeeper to say, hit the streets, and so that's what she did. She made Wallace Perling the innkeeper. Wally was good with it. He worked on the few lines that he had. He was awesome, and he was standing behind the set that night, the night of the big program. They still talk about it. It was one of those painted backdrops, and the door was a fake door, but it really did open and shut. And so Wally was standing back there going over his lines in his head, waiting for the moment when the itty-bitty boy and girl playing Mary and Joseph would come and knock at the door. Finally, the big moment came. In the middle of the pageant, Mary and Joseph come across the stage. They knock on the door, that painted door in the backdrop. Wally opens the door, big old giant Goliath opens the door and says, yes, just like he had practiced. Yes. The little boy playing Joseph says, sir, my wife and I have been traveling for a very, very long distance. And now we're very, very tired and we need a place to spend the night. While he said his lines just like he practiced. He said, there's no room here for you. We have no more rooms. Be gone. Joseph said, sir, please, my wife is great with child, and she's exhausted from the journey. Do you not even have a corner where she might lay her weary head? Well, at this point, Wally looked down. He looked down at the little girl playing Mary, and he kind of froze. Everybody thought, oh, no, he's going to embarrass himself. Remember, everybody loves Wally. He just froze. He didn't say anything. He just looked at Marion. And, and so the Miss Lombard offstage said, be gone. She's prompting him, be gone. No, be gone. So while he came back and he said, no, be gone. There's no more room here, just like he practiced so Mary and Joseph, they turned like they had practiced. They turned and started walking off, and little Joseph put his arm around little Mary, and she laid her head on Joseph's shoulder, they're walking away. But Wally didn't move. He was supposed to go back inside and close the door, but he didn't. He just froze. He stood there looking for the longest time just looking. And then people said his chin began to quiver. Have you ever seen that face? His chin started to quiver, and tears started forming in his eyes. And then Wally said, Joseph, Mary, wait. Okay, he's off script now. Joseph, Mary, wait. I said that there's no room. We'll make some room. You can have my room, he said. And he went, this big guy went and got Mary and Joseph, dragged them across the stage, brought them in the motel, and closed the door. Y'all know the story doesn't supposed to go that way. They're not supposed to wind up inside the inn. People just sat there really awkward. People said that's your Wallace purling ruined the whole Christmas show. I don't know. I think he made it. I think he made it. Because you understand, that's really what Christmas is. It's about Jesus coming to the door of of your life, your heart. It's about God coming near to you. It's about you standing there on the threshold of your own life with a choice to make. Do you understand that? A choice to make. It's about God coming to you and, 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 and looking at your little bitty dreams, the dreams you have for your life. But it's about God saying, if you're willing, I can make you a part of a dream so much bigger. You see, that's what Christmas is. It's about Jesus coming at the threshold of your life and saying, Now, look, I know the plans that you have for your life, but I have a greater plan. And if you're willing, I would like to bring you in to be a part of the most important, the most grand cosmic plan of all. If you're willing, I would like to replace the small plan you have for your life and give you a larger plan. What do you say? This is what Christmas is. Do you understand that? It's about God coming near, God coming down, and God knocking on the door of your heart and asking if you might invite him in, asking if you might have him come in to stay. Because when he comes in, he comes in to stay. When he comes in, it means that you have to sort of make room. Every other priority in your life gets shifted. All of your dreams, all, all of your plans, all of your busyness, it sort of has to be pushed aside. You think you have no room, but you have to learn to make room. Joseph, in, in the middle of the worst night of his life, has an angel show up in the middle of his dreams. Make him the offer of a lifetime. Like to bring you into the plan I have for the world, God says. I would like you to raise my son. I would like you to name him Jesus, which means God saves. I would like you to take Mary home and let her be your wife. It's not going to be easy. It's it's going to be difficult. What do you say, Joseph? Scripture says when Joseph woke up, he did exactly what God had asked him to do. So, what do you say? If you're real quiet, if you're real still, you will hear God's voice. You will feel the gentle knocking of the Holy Spirit on the door of your heart. You ever felt that? You ever experienced that? Because if you never have, it's happening now. Standing at the threshold of your life, knocking. You may take some time, I understand. You may want to think about your life. You may want to stop and count the cost of following him. You probably need to think about the dreams you've had for your life and the plans you've had for your life. You probably really need to think about the plan he's offering you. But understand, he's knocking. And at the end of this, I beg you to let him in. Understand, you've just got to let him in. Bring him inside. Make room for him. He has come to stay. Pray with me. God, it's the time of Christmas. Whole world seems to celebrate it. People who've never said your name all year long are are singing carols about you this week. God, people have decorations and people come to church who don't go to church at any other time, Lord. It, It seems like the whole world's doing Christmas, Lord. And I guess in some way they are, Lord. In a very important way, God, you've come to every single person on the planet. You've come to every person who stood at the threshold of their life and knocked on the door. God, you're doing it now. You do it every day and not just at Christmas. But, Lord, I pray that today, on this very important day, I pray that people in the sound of my voice will not hear my voice, but will hear the gentle voice of the Savior who has come and come to the door of their life and is knocking and simply wants to come in and come in to stay. Lord Jesus, I pray that people in this house, I pray that people in the overflow and at Franklin and all around the world, that I, I pray that people will understand what Christmas is about and the genuine offer of salvation that Christmas holds out, the promise of salvation and blessing, the promise of a grand dream that swallows up the small dreams of our life, oh God. I pray for children and young people and I pray for middle-aged folks and parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents and older folks. I pray that all of us will, will hear you knocking at the door of our heart today and that we'll let you come in. God, some of us as Christians, we let you come in years ago. But, Lord, we have pushed you to the back of our lives. Lord, you are not on the throne. You are not our our, our Lord, not in any way, Lord, the master of, of our decisions. Lord, we pray that you would help us once more to return you to the rightful place on the throne of our hearts, Lord. But those who've never let you come in, Lord, I pray that today you'll knock and knock and they'll hear and they'll listen and they'll let you come in. Oh, Jesus, we invite you. To come in and stay. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together.